of zeal. Zeal. And I'm, I'm not talking about God's zeal for his people, for his glory, for his children, his church. Uh, certainly God does have a zeal for those things. But I want to talk about our personal zeal for Christ, for the cause of Christ. Um, and the definition for that word, zeal, is a, is a passionate ardor or enthusiasm in the pursuit of anything. Uh, zeal is an eagerness of desire to accomplish or obtain some object. It's, in, it's enthusiasm in embracing, pursuing, or defending something. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, Paul is um, showing what he was like uh, before his conversion. And, you know, he was a mighty man in Israel. He, was, uh, he says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, uh, as touching the law of Pharisee. And in verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. If you, we won't turn there, but in Acts chapter 8, it talks about the scattering of the Christians from Jerusalem. And, you know, many of those who were against uh, the early church were okay with the church being scattered and persecuted. But Paul says he had so much zeal, if you read in Acts chapter 9, that he had received letters that he could go to Damascus, to the other synagogues, and bind the people that were following, uh, trying to follow Jesus and bring them back to Jerusalem. He was pursuing. He had so much zeal that he was pursuing what he was after. Now, certainly that was a bad thing, and God worked on him and he changed, but you can see how his zeal motivated him to pursue after the church. Um, Paul talks about in Acts chapter 21 that there were people that had a zeal for the law. Uh, if you remember a few weeks back, we read from Romans chapter 10, and where Paul began by saying, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. He said they were going about trying to establish their own righteousness and not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. But they had a zeal, right? And having zeal, having zeal is a good thing. Um, Paul said in, in Galatians chapter 4 that, that um, it was good to be zealously affected in a good thing. It's good to have zeal for good things. Do you all understand that? Um, matter of fact, it's, I think it's important that we have zeal, um, you know, a, a passion and a, an enthusiasm for things in life. Um, but you want to have a correct zeal, and you want to have zeal for the right things, right? Um, see, what, what, what Paul was talking about in chapter 10 of Romans uh, was not, their problem wasn't that they had zeal, but they didn't have zeal according to knowledge. They had an uninformed zeal. You know, they were trying to pursue after righteousness by keeping the law, by keeping rules, by keeping regulations when Christ had already accomplished that for them. Um, but, you know, as you look out in society, uh, really a sad truth is that sometimes the people who are uninformed maybe they don't know the truth, are a lot of times more zealous than the people who have embraced the truth themselves. Have you ever noticed that? There can be people that don't understand uh, the truth of the gospel. Many religions are out there, some even under the banner of Christianity, that embrace wholeheartedly a works-based salvation of working yourself to heaven. And a lot of times those people... Um, 
are more zealous um, than the people of God who understand the truth. And that's sad, isn't it? Um, you know, I had a guy who belongs to one of those organizations who came to my house one time, you know, to the door. And, um, of course, I talked to him and was kind to him. And we talked about some things we had in common. And uh, maybe a month later, I was upstairs and Carrie said, somebody's at the door. And he had come back with somebody else who had other things in common with us. <laughs> to try to win me over to their way of thinking, right? Now, of course, I could, I could make fun of him or talk about how could people believe that, but what I was left with was an appreciation for his zeal. I thought, how, how, would I have done that <laughs> for my Lord? That's a convict. See, when, when I, this week I've been thinking about zeal, and I hope this message will make sense to you, but I'm not here to run down people who have zeal not according to knowledge. I won't me and the people of God here today that understand God's grace, understand the way that God has saved us people, I want us to have a level of zeal that would meet their level of zeal, right? If we understand what God has done for us, shouldn't that make us zealous people, spiritual people? Um, because the, the fact of the matter is, sometimes we can get in the habit of worshiping God in knowledge, but not with zeal. <laughs> we can just go through the motions, right? Uh, I think I've heard it said once before. And, and I can't remember if it was me that said it or somebody else. <laughs> if it's good, I'll take credit for it. But Paul could have said today, if he was writing Romans chapter 10 to us, he could say, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the church is... For grace believers, for primitive Baptists, my, my prayer to them is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have the knowledge and the truth of God, but not according to zeal. They've lost their zeal. Does that, does it, that ring true to anybody here today? Have you ever found yourself where you lose your zeal for the things of God? You know, God told the lady at the well in John chapter 4 that God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's true that you can't worship God until you're vitally born of the spirit of God. But I think there's something in that that um, what we're doing here isn't simply going through the motions or an intellectual exercise. It's a spiritual exercise, right? I don't want a religion that I just understand about or know about. I want a religion that I feel. Do y'all? I want something that, that rings true to me, that I feel in my heart, that I feel in my soul. Um, I wrote in a quote from a, a, a preacher. Y'all can Google him later. He wasn't an old Baptist preacher, but he's got some inspiring little messages on, uh, on, on YouTube. His name was S.M. Lockridge. Y'all have probably heard some of them. A lot of times during... Um, I think it's during Easter, he was the man that preached the, the, the sermon that said, but, um, but Sunday's coming, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Have y'all heard that? Some of y'all heard that. Uh, very inspirational. But he said that our sophistication is zapping the life out of our religion. <laughs> and that could be the truth in America. Because one of the things that is also true about zeal is that when when a people or a nation or a group 
is, is blessed materially. They're blessed with prosperity. That seems to zap some of their zeal for God. Um, now, you could really be distracted in your pursuit of God if you have nothing. If you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, there's a danger in that that you could get down or, you know, you could despair or you could grow so weary that maybe you lose sight of God. That's certainly true, but it's been my experience and a lot of the people who I know, Christians who I know, who live in a society where prosperity isn't as, as great as it is here is that they seem to have more of a reliance and a zeal for God than people in America. Because an, while it is true you could forget God while you're not, you, you, you know, you don't have things, maybe a greater danger is that you could get distracted from pursuing God when you have an abundance of things. Do y'all think that's true this morning? <laughs> have y'all ever felt that in your life? Um, one of my best friends, he was here the other night when Brother Martin was here. He's from um, Ghana in West Africa, and he came here when he was 18 years old, and we've become really good friends, and he, was, he would, it's just, I always love to hear the stories about him coming to America because it's so different than anything I've ever experienced. He said when he flew into Birmingham, Alabama, he thought he'd landed in heaven. <laughs> And he said he remember when he got his first suit and he thought, this is wonderful. You know, he would see the magazines or on TV when he was growing up that the, the people who had really made it, they wore a suit to work, wore a suit to dinner. And he's been successful and worked really hard. And he says, now I've probably got 30 suits in my closet. He said, I'll stand in my closet and think I have nothing to wear. <laughs> when 20 years ago, I'd have killed for one suit. See, prosperity can blind you to the blessings of God. Prosperity can blind you uh, to a reliance on God. And prosperity can really quench your zeal for pursuing God. In Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 7, 7 through 9, it says, Two things have I required of thee, deny them not before I die. Remove far from me vanities and lies, and give me neither poverty nor riches. You know, I think many of us, if we were honest with ourselves, our prayer to God would probably be, give me all the riches you can give me, God. <laughs> people people um, desire riches, right? Well, here the, 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 the writer of Proverbs says, give me neither poverty nor give me riches, but feed me with food convenient or suitable just enough for me lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Do y'all see the danger in that? That you could become full, you could become in need of nothing and say, where is the Lord? Or he says, lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. You know, over the last hundred years in this country, we've seen economic prosperity that's really unprecedented in the history of the world and would you say that the country has become more spiritual through that prosperity or less spiritual I think we'd all have to agree it's less spiritual today than it was a hundred or two hundred years ago 
And the Bible is certainly not silent about this issue. Um, I want to I turn with you, if you've got your Bible, to Revelation chapter 3. Because the Bible certainly addresses the issue that we're facing as the people of God in a society that is very prosperous and materially blessed. In the last church that Jesus sends a message to in the chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation is the church of the Laodiceans. And, um, you know, many will say today that we are in a, the age of the Laodiceans or a, La a Laodicean age in America as the church. And so let's listen to what he says here. It says, under the angel or the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans write, this is verse 14 of chapter 3, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. <laughs> now, here he's telling the church, I know what you're doing. Do y'all ever think about that? You might could fool your mom or your dad or your church members, <laughs> but you can't fool God, right? He knows what you're doing. That should be very sobering, shouldn't it? And so he reminds them, I know he knows what you're doing. He knows what you're not doing. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. And I would that you were cold or hot. I think he's, I think he's really saying there that you're, that you're good for something. <laughs> because he'll say in verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm. This, was the, this, was, this is what they were guilty of. This church had become lukewarm. What does that mean? They had no enthusiasm about the service of God. They'd become indifferent apathetic or if you look up in like a strong's concordance this word it, it will literally say in some definitions they were not zealous they had lost their enthusiasm to pursue the things of God he says because you're lukewarm you're neither cold nor hot you're good for nothing I will spew thee out of my mouth and what he's saying there is it if you can think in human terms it it is literally saying that it makes God sick to his stomach when he sees the people of God that he has given so much to, that he is blessed in so many ways, when they take the blessings of God and become lukewarm and not more thankful and more zealous for what he has done for them. He says, because you're lukewarm, I will spew thee out of, the, out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, listen to what, see, not, not only does God know what you're doing, what you're not doing he knows what you're saying right he knows and even if you're not saying it out i doubt now they could have but i doubt the, the 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 brothers and sisters in the church at laodicea were going about saying this publicly but they were probably saying it in their heart and their mind right this is probably the attitude that they were living life with he says because thou sayest i am rich i'm wealthy i'm, I'm a that means that i'm i'm abounding in material possessions I got so many clothes in my closet that I don't have any, I feel like I have nothing to wear. <laughs> but I've got more clothes than most people have had through human history. He says, I'm rich. I'm abounding in these resources. I'm increased with goods. I have abundance of things. I have, I have need of nothing. That was the attitude that they had. Um, I, I know where my next meal's coming from. I know where, what I'm going to wear tomorrow. I have a home. When it's cold, I can be warm. When it's hot, I can be cold. I've got it pretty good. I'm very comfortable. Do you all see that? I'm very comfortable. That's what this church was saying. That's what that church was feeling. And so God says to them that you, have, you say you have need of nothing, and you don't know. You've forgotten. You've got a knowledge problem as well. You don't know that you're wretched. You're actually wretched. You're worthless. You're miserable and poor. 
You don't have any influence. You don't have any power. You're blind. They've become mentally blind to their need of God. Do y'all see that? That's, and then he says you've become naked. You know what I think he's really saying there is you don't, you, you say that I'm rich, you say that I'm increased with goods, you say that I have need of nothing, and you've forgotten just how vulnerable you really are. You know, we can feel that way, can't we? We, we, we don't, um, we, you know, we, 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 we take, uh, we trust in, our, uh, in our, our riches, we trust in the things that we have, we trust in our health. There's nothing that you have today that couldn't be taken from you just like that. There's not, there's not a phone call that you couldn't receive today that would change your life forever today. Do y'all understand that? We are vulnerable people. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are both one, wonderful and fearfully made. You know, we can, um, uh, people can go through, if y'all watched football yesterday, it still amazes me that a 300-pound man can hit a 200-pound man and they just get up and go play another play. That's amazing, isn't it? But you can get a virus and die in five or six days. We, we are vulnerable people, aren't we? And so he's telling the church at Laodicea, you're trusting in all these riches. You're trusting in your abundance of things. But you've forgotten who you really are. And so when you forget who you really are, that's one step to forgetting who God really is and what God has really done for you, which zaps your zeal. Do y'all see that? You, and, and I'm sure this was a sophisticated society. I'm sure these people thought they had it all together, but God says you do not. And in verse 18, he says, I counsel of thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that, thy, uh, and that the shame of thy nakedness uh, do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. You see, he says you're going everywhere uh, for your riches, but I'm counseling you, I'm telling you, my advice to you is to come to me for the things that really matter. Come to me for your, your righteousness. Come to me for your white raiment, for your eyesab, the gospel that will open your eyes. See, they were blinded by their material possessions, but he's saying if you run to the gospel, if you run to God, if you run to his word, that you can be open to see who you really are, what God really is, and that will change your life, right? Isn't that what changed anybody here today that's here of their own accord, here of their own will? The thing that probably opened your eyes, we know that God would have had to open your heart, but what opened your eyes was the gospel, right? When you heard the gospel, what God had done for you, what God is doing for you, what God is yet to do for you, that opens your eyes so that you may really see and you won't be mentally blinded like these Laodiceans were. Listen to verse 19. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke. Do y'all like to be told when you're wrong? <laughs> do do y'all? I don't. <laughs> um, it's good, and we ought, to, we ought to understand how to deal with that, but why is it so hard to admit sometimes when you're wrong? <laughs> Am I the only one that struggles with that in this whole room? Some of y'all are shaking your head, no. Um, I can know I'm wrong and still go with it because I just want to think that I'm right. <laughs> if I hang on to it long enough, maybe people will think I'm right. Well, here he's telling them where they're wrong. He's telling them where they've messed up. And he's saying, I'm, I'm rebuking you, I'm convicting you, I'm exposing your faults. None of us like that. He says, and I'm chastening you. I'm correcting you with, with punishment. Maybe he's withdrawing his fellowship with them or he's sending them this. I mean, there, there had to be 
If, if you got a letter from God today that said, Josh, you are trusting in, in your wealth, you're trusting in your abundance, you're trusting in yourself, and you've left me alone, that would make me feel bad, wouldn't it? That would make me, um, that would probably not make me feel warm and fuzzy inside, but he's saying that, that I'm doing this because I love you. How many of you have ever heard the preaching of the gospel, and, and maybe a, a preacher says something and it convicts you, right? And you feel bad about it, and you think, Boy, really, I have been doing that, or I have been neglecting this. Y'all ever felt that? When you feel that, that's proof that God loves you. Isn't that good? If God didn't love you, He wouldn't convict you of what you're doing wrong. Matter of fact, if God doesn't love you, you couldn't even feel like you were doing wrong, right? And so He says, I love you, and that's why I convict you, I rebuke you, I expose the things you're doing wrong, I chasten you. And so He says to this church that was in all this problem, here's what He says to them, Be zealous therefore and repent he says you need to change reform your behavior repent of what your lukewarmness their, their lack of zeal their lack of enthusiasm for the things of god uh, their, their lack of dependence on god he says you need to change all that repent of your lukewarmness and be zealous that's what he's telling them you need to be zealous therefore and repent he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know what that tells me in verse 20? If you pursue God, you will find God. Do you all understand that today? If you pursue him, on an end of, even if your church isn't, the people that you're around or not, if you pursue him, he will be there to sup with you, to fellowship with you, to commune with you. So, so the, the, the answer to, and maybe that's you today, maybe you're the most zealous person in the world, but I can tell you your preacher suffers with not being zealous at times. Your preacher can look back on his life, and, and I've done this, this this week, and said, there was a time that I was really zealous in this area of my life and doing this for the Lord, and now I've, maybe I've gotten into the motions and I'm not doing it anymore. Y'all felt that, right? There was a time when I was, uh, um, I was more zealous than I am today. That happens to all of us. So if that's you, then, then the message that the, that, that the Lord was giving the church at Laodicea is the same message today. It's not just give up and give in. The message is repent of your lukewarmness, repent of your lack of zeal, and be zealous. Begin to pursue Him again, right? That's the message. So what does zeal mean? What does zeal look like? You know, what is real zeal? You ever, you ever think about that? When, um, uh, well, I can tell you one thing that it not necessarily is. A lot of people, when they think about zeal, they equate that with emotion, like an emotional response, right? And we've already talked about it. I want to feel my religion. I want to. It'd be okay if some of y'all said amen every once in a while today. <laughs> uh, I'd like some feedback. Uh, you know, you want to see that the message is is uh, that the Lord's blessing, if He's blessing the message, when they're singing, you want to sing with some, uh, some enthusiasm, right? Uh, we, want to, we want to pray in the Spirit. We want, we, we want to be zealous people. And it's not, uh, like I said, uh, religion or Christianity or what we're doing here today isn't just a dry intellectual exercise. It is emotion, right? And we've seen people um, come before our church and, and, and with emotions and tears and, 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 and all kinds of emotions. You've seen me but get emotional. That's normal. If, 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 if we believe 
what we say we believe about God and, and we believe what we believe what we say we believe about who we are, if you see that how it is, you can't help but get emotional, right? You can't help but become uh, uh, emotional and maybe you express that in tears or in shouts of joy or whatever it may be. But just because you're showing emotion doesn't necessarily mean you're full of zeal, right? Um, Carrie and I went to a, a, a Christian concert at a, at a large church not far from here several years ago, and we enjoyed it. But the one thing I remember from the whole thing, uh, now it was, it, was a, it was for a primitive Baptist, I was kind of out of place, but I enjoyed it. Um, I, I like Christian music and um, gospel music, but this one guy, he was a young boy, and it was a large congregation, and he would, he would during the, the service, he would run from one end of the church to the other end of the church. He had his arms up in the air. That's all I could see the whole time. I thought, who is this crazy guy? <laughs> First of all, I'm kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't know, introverted may not be the word, but I'm not the kind to get out and run around and make a big show of myself. But about halfway through the, the concert or the service there, the lady that was uh, singing said, after he'd made about his 20th lap around the church, she said, this guy must really love Jesus. <laughs> and my first thought was, this guy must be crazy. <laughs> um, and I don't know, he may have really loved Jesus. But a, an emotional response or an emotional outburst or, or, or running around, um, you know, all over the place uh, doesn't necessarily mean you have a zeal for the Lord. Um, see, an outward show of emotion in no way reflects an inward zeal for God. I believe it's eight times, it may be more, at least eight times in the Old Testament, the Bible will talk about a group of people or an individual person who, who bowed their head and worshipped. Uh, I wrote down one of the verses, Genesis 24 and verse 26. It says, And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. You know, you see a man just bowing down his head in prayer or in submission to God. To the world, that wouldn't look like he was really worshipping, right? Um, but worship of God doesn't have to be complicated. Do you all agree with that today? Many people would come in here today. I remember Brother Sam Brian, our former pastor, talking about the lady who came into his church in Georgia and said, were y'all robbed? <laughs> Where's all your stuff? <laughs> um, you know, you don't have to have gigantic choirs and, and all kinds of musical instruments and, and, and fancy things or complicated methods to worship the Lord. You can just simply worship the Lord by bowing your head and trust to him. <laughs> And in submission to him. Think about that. You can worship the Lord tonight. You don't have to. You could worship the Lord at your home and, and with singing. You could, you, could, you could do a lot of things to worship the Lord as a family. But you can simply worship the Lord when you lay in bed at night. And you recount in your mind the things that the Lord has blessed you with. The things that the Lord has done for you. That's worshiping God. Y'all understand that? And that's zeal. Um, listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 14, he says, Not as though I'd already obtained, either already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that is to seize or to possess that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, 
But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I believe that's a good definition for us, a good example of what is zeal. See, see he, was trying to, he was trying to possess or apprehend the one who had already apprehended him. That is zeal. Zeal is a consistent pursuit of the king and his kingdom. That is what zeal is. It is a pursuit. You know, Paul would tell them, let us run the, uh, the race with patience, the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, he's saying that it's a consistent race. Uh, um, um, see, you could run, I could get up here and run around on the stage uh, this morning. And y'all may think that brother is full of zeal. And I've seen some zealous men who really have zeal uh, that preach a lot louder than I do, that uh, maybe holler a lot more than I do or cry a lot more than I do. And, and I'm not saying they were insincere, uh, but there's a lot of people that could get up here and I could, I could hoop and holler and run around and, and run out in the aisle. And somebody may say, that guy's really zealous. <laughs> um, but if, if I'm doing that on Sunday morning, but on Monday, I'm not thinking about the Lord. And on Tuesday, I'm not thinking about the Lord. And on Wednesday, I'm not thinking about the Lord. The number one, it's fake. And it's kind of just like a sprint, right? <laughs> I could be zealous for an hour or two. But the Christian life is, is, is not just a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon, right? Paul uses the word walk a lot. Because really the Christian life is, is a... I might could get out and run a mile... Or two. Do I need to remind y'all that I came in third in that 5K a few years ago? <laughs> I've, got the, um, I've got the medal hanging behind my desk at, at, um, in my office at home. So in case I'm ever on a Zoom call, people can see my medal. <laughs> I don't tell them there's only three people in my age group. But. Um, they don't need to know that. Um, but I might could run for a little bit, but I'd get tired, right? But I can walk a long way. That's what the Christian life is. It's a walk. And true zeal is a consistent walk with your Lord. It's a pursuit of the king and his kingdom. Let's turn to, the, to, to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll close there today. It, the Sermon on the Mount, as we talk about pursuing the kingdom or pursuing the king, and, and just like the Laodiceans who were trusting in their riches, God's, Jesus, as he's teaching here, is going to hit on some of those things. Um, he's really going to talk about the pursuit of money. And you know, when we, when we talk about being materially blessed, of course, that's all relative to um, to who you are um, there, there are many people in the world that would trade places with you today or me today if they could because of what you have and you may think I have nothing if you're looking at Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk your bank account's not that big is it uh, so a lot of it's relative but we have to admit that we've been blessed materially right and so 
There's nothing wrong with that. God blessed many people materially in the word of God. But you have to understand the dangers that come with that. And there's, and there's really two. You can, you can begin to pursue that with so much tenacity that you no longer pursue God, right? You get, you get a taste of wealth or a taste of things. And, and that's, you want more and more and more of that. And then also, a funny thing about people who are materially blessed is there's a lot of worry and anxiety and problems that come along with those blessings. Y'all ever heard the, the statement, first world problems? Y'all ever heard that? I can't think of one right now, but um, I've had a lot of them in my life. Like... Um, if you were watching the game last night and your internet went out and you couldn't pull up YouTube TV and you get real upset about that, well, there's a lot of people in the world that have never been upset about losing internet access to sit down and watch a football game. That's a first world problem, right? Um, and there's a lot of anxiety in our society that they don't experience in other societies that have a lot less than we do because with, with wealth and technology and prosperity and just abundance comes a lot of fears and, 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 and frustrations and doubts and worry that really shouldn't be part of your life. And so Jesus is going to talk about that. He says in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, No man can serve two masters. Now this is coming from the, the, the mouth of of the Son of God, he says that it is impossible that you could serve two masters. You can't, you can't be Lord. Uh, some other object in your life can't be Lord and still call Jesus Lord. That's what he's saying. If you remember back to Romans chapter 10, that was, that was how you experience salvation, deliverance in this life, is to, is to admit that Jesus is Lord, Right? And to let go of, of, of trying to establish your own kingdom and press in to his kingdom. That's, that's the difference. And he's saying here that it's impossible for you to serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And so Jesus says here, you cannot, it's impossible, you cannot serve God and mammon that is money or wealth or riches um, or everything that comes worldly goods now Jesus is not saying that you can't have worldly goods and still serve him as Lord and Master but he's saying you can't serve him as Lord and Master but your primary focus be on obtaining worldly goods. Do y'all see the difference there? He says mammon can't be your master if you want to serve Jesus. So that's the first thing he talks about is wealth. Same thing that the Lord addressed with the church at Laodicea. And then with wealth, with abundance, we talked about comes a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry. He says in verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, don't be anxious about your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. 
Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. Jesus says, go out and look at the birds. And I I doubt there's anybody in this room today that's worried about where their next meal is going to come. If you're staying for lunch, you're probably not worried about it, right? (laughs) But even if you're not, you've probably got lined up. Some of us probably worry more about what we want to eat than if we're going to eat, right? Um, We're probably not worried about what we're going to wear. But probably every one of us has a lot of have a, have a lot of worries or anxiety that we lay upon ourselves that really do not matter, right? We may worry about our future. We may worry about our positions, our level of income, our jobs, uh, our children. We we worry about a lot of things that we simply can't really control <laughs> and we should we should we should lay them at the feet of the master right if you have a master you're not worried about being in control because the master's in control right just we're going to skip to verse 34 for just a moment we'll go back he says jesus said to them take no thought or take therefore no thought don't be anxious for the morrow or for tomorrow for the next day or the next week or the next month and 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 look you can um, you have to rightly divide the word of god and a, 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 a balanced christian will discern between between extremes it's biblical to save for a rainy day right it's biblical to put away uh, solomon would say go look at the ant Watch what the ant does. It, it's, it's, it saves away uh, for, for times where it will have need to draw out of that reserve. But it doesn't worry and toil about it while it's, making it, while it's building up its reserve, right? And so he says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow, or, or the next day, the next week, the next month, shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. <laughs> He says, he's, he's basically saying, try to, try to get through today. Today's the only thing that you can really impact, right? <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, I wrote this quote down. He said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it only empties today of its strength. <laughs> Worrying about tomorrow is not going to make tomorrow better. It's going to make today worse. That's what Jesus is saying. So he's telling them, he says, don't take thought of your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor of your body, what you shall put on. Your life is more than meat and more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air. He says, go out and behold the birds. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father, listen to that word, your heavenly Father. It's true that God's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Master. But in, in, it's also true that he's our loving father, right? And he, he points them back, your father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? He says, are you going to be able to grow an inch by thinking about it? 
Why take you thought for raiment? Consider the, he says, go out and consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into the oven. And you know, I was talking to Sister Libby on the ride over here today about what's your favorite season. I love fall. Do y'all like fall time? When the leaves change color, it's beautiful, and they'll, they'll die and they'll fall off the tree. But you know what's true is they'll come back in a few months, won't they? And what that points to is God's faithfulness, doesn't it? That God's faithful to his creation. God's faithful to his people. And here he's saying that, that the grass of the field is going to rot and die. But yet it's going to come back. and It's going to come back another year, right? It's going to come back in a few months. God's not going to forsake it forever. He says, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought. Don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father, once again he talks about your Father, your loving Father in heaven who has all power in heaven and earth and loves you as a son or a daughter. Your Father knows that you have need of all these things. God's not up in heaven and he, he's not up there and not understanding what you need. But it takes a lot of faith to, to believe that, doesn't it? It takes a lot of faith to rest in that. And he says, O ye of little faith. Now listen to this. He says, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. He says the Gentiles, and that's, now, now we, we could be classified as Gentiles, but he's not saying this in a loving way. He's saying the pagan people of the world are seeking, they are craving, they are striving after, they are pursuing with zeal the comforts of the world. Do you see that? They're pursuing all these things that you should not be anxious about. They have a zeal for that. But in verse 33, he's going to define for us what true zeal is when we talk about the pursuit of the king and his kingdom. He says, the Gentiles are seeking these things, but you seek, you look after, you seek out to find or pursue, seek ye First, he says, in order of importance is what that means, that the most important thing that you should seek after is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And by the way, what is the righteousness of the kingdom and the righteousness of God? It is the king, Christ Jesus, isn't it? That is his righteousness. That is your righteousness. That is what we want to follow after. If we want to follow after doing right, then we should follow after Christ, what he did. Peter says he went about doing good. So if you want to be, what is zeal? It is pursuing his kingdom as a priority. Do y'all see that? He says, but seek, pursue ye first the kingdom of God. God knew that you have jobs that you have to work. You have grass that you need to cut, you have hobbies that you're going to explore and enjoy, right? God knew all those things. 
But he says that actual zeal, actual pursuit, actual discipleship is not forsaking all those things and living as a monk somewhere, but it is forsaking those things if you have to, to pursue the kingdom. It is that first and foremost, you prioritize seeking the kingdom. That doesn't mean you wake up in the morning, that's the first thing you seek, that's not a bad thing, but that means before you go to bed that you've made it a priority that you're going to seek Him through His Word, through His people, through prayer, through His church, through doing acts of kindness, acts of service, going about doing good like Him. You prioritize those things. So you may miss some of the other things. By the way, because he says here that if you do these things, all these things will be added unto you. <laughs> now listen, how many of us, uh, when you seek the kingdom of God, but you still have that job, right? But what happens with that job? Uh, at the end of the week or at the end of every two weeks or at the end of the month, they send you a paycheck. And you think, well, I've made enough money to earn my food, to earn my clothes, to earn my house, to earn my car. No, God has blessed you to have the job, to have the money, to be able to afford. The That's what he's doing. That's an answer to our prayers, right? When that check is in our bank account or when that... That, that check is handed us at the end of the week. or the, 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 We have the money in the bank to buy the things we need. It's not because we're so good. It's because God has been merciful to us. And if you, if you seek Him as a priority, I will tell you, it'll just go better with you. I, um, it, it's certainly not true that, that God's going to bless you with everything you may want. But God will bless you with everything you need. And I have witnessed people that will forsake the assembling of themselves here, or they will forsake the God that they, 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 uh, they once loved and they once were passionate about and zealous about. And I have, I have witnessed friends, I've witnessed brothers and sisters, their lives fall apart because they quit passionately pursuing the God that they loved. See, God, God is not obligated to bless you with all these things if you neglect Him. God's not obligated to bless you just because you're one of His children. Now listen, praise be the God that often in our neglect of God, He still doesn't neglect us. Can y'all testify to that? Often when we're unfaithful to God, He's still faithful to us. But He doesn't have to be. But Jesus has said, listen, He will. This is Jesus saying this, right? This isn't a prosperity preacher. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't the guy on TVN. This is Jesus saying, if you will seek Him as a priority, He will meet all your needs. He's sweet to us, isn't He? He says He will meet all your needs. I pray that God will bless us to be a people who passionately pursue the kingdom of God. I want to be a person who makes it a priority in my life. And I want Vestavia Church to be a group of people who make that a priority in their lives. A people who will neglect the things of the world in order to pursue the things of God. And that doesn't mean that you neglect, us, you neglect things forever. <laughs> but it means that you put things in their proper place, right? Uh, and that we, we, we prioritize, we seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this day that you've given us. Thank you for your spirit that you've given us. Thank you for this church that you've given us, this country that you've given us. And we pray, God, that you would, you would bless them all. Bless this church. Bless Vestavia Church to grow. Bless us to, to, to number one, grow together in unity and, and, and in and fellowship one towards another. But bless us with people outside of our church membership coming in amongst us and, and enjoying the gospel and enjoying the kingdom. And, and, and send us people who will passionately pursue your kingdom and your work and your cause. And help us to be people. <laughs> help us to be people that if there are those that are passionate outside, that would come in and find people passionate here. Help us to, uh, we know that your word says that iron sharpens iron. Help us to be passionate so that we may spark the passion and the zeal in each other here. And bless our country, Lord. Bless us with leaders who look to you, who even acknowledge you. Bless us with leaders who seem to care for, for you in this great country that you've blessed us with. And, and, and allow common sense to reign in our land and deliver us from the wicked ones who would want to destroy what you've blessed us with. We thank you for our clothes and for our food and for our homes and our cars and our jobs. And help us not to take those things for granted, but to be thankful and to rejoice and to fall on our knees from time to time and just say thank you, Lord, for the blessings of this life. Help us to be zealous people. Help us to, to worship you with spirit and truth in this place. God, I pray that you'll continue to be with everyone here this week as they go out amongst this world, that you'll keep them safe, and that we'll be able to meet back here once again next week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing a hymn at this time, and, and we'll give an opportunity. If you'd like to unite with this church, uh, you can come forward and let that desire be known. Brother Taylor, do you have a song we can sing? We'll sing number 170.